This is the Responsible Note Investing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Putz, owner of JKP Holdings. After we received multiple requests to convert our live webinars into audio format, we decided to set up a podcast. Our focus on each webinar was to be content-driven, partner with the guests with the most knowledge and experience in their field. We do our best to try and ask the questions you would ask. Our live webinars cover topics ranging from bookkeeping to avoiding mistakes to legal and so on. Be sure to follow us on YouTube at JKP Holdings LLC, our Facebook page, JKP Holdings, our Facebook group, East Coast Distressed Note Investing, and our LinkedIn page, JKP Holdings LLC. And now it's time to dive in. Uh, my dad. Uh, my dad started us in the business, and uh, so we've been doing partials for since the early 70s. My dad actually originally um, sold partials to an institution, and that's kind of how we learned about um, the, you know, being able to, to uh, partial a note and how it works and all the ins and outs of that, and so that's how we got started. Awesome. So can you let us know a little bit more about Notes School itself in general? Yeah, Notes School is our training entity. We have a family of companies, uh, but Notes School is our training entity. So we offer three-day classes that um, basically teach the note business, performing and non-performing notes, uh, buying notes and um then, you know, we also have extended training that goes along with that if people are interested. Um, and then we also have our note buying side where we buy pools of um, and acquire pools of loans and uh, as well as one-off loans. Wonderful. Ben, can you share a little about yourself, your experience, and what your knowledge and partials in general? Sure, I would love to. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. I'll once again, Dan Zatowski from Zatowski Capital Management. We are a remedy hedge fund that we acquired um, for the last 28 plus years, going on our 29th year, uh, both from real estate side, we've acquired uh, a lot of non-performing notes, uh, well over a thousand uh, assets. Um, but what we like to do is a little different. We like to take a non-performing asset from a note, a tax lien, a distressed seller, property, REO, hedge fund, and turn that into a performing asset as a turnkey rental. And then we're different, whereas we like to sell our properties to turnkey investors on a note. So we're actually working more on the non-owner occupied side on the note. And back in the day, probably about up until about seven years ago, I used to sell off partials to get all my money back on a deal in 12 to 18 months. Um, so my returns would then become infinite. Over the last seven years, I really haven't been selling much on my notes. I, that's how I've been living passively, being the bank. So we're taking down, uh, we're working on a lot of contracts, a lot of performing notes. But basically what we do is re-originate performing notes, the non-ordinary occupies um, that are very, very, um, very, very um, advantageous in this industry. We just choose not to sell a lot of them off because we keep them on our portfolio. But uh, we definitely can work with investors that come in with smaller amounts of money to maybe sell off, you know, 40, 50 payments or something on a parcel. That's how we built our business. About seven, that's how we changed it over about seven years ago and, and, and never looked back. Great. 
Josh Andrews, can you introduce yourself and explain a little bit about who you are and what you do with parcels? Yeah, I uh, appreciate you having everybody on here. Um, certainly, I've probably been in this business a lot less time than some of these folks on here. So it's neat to see kind of the spread of different folks. Um, I've been buying and selling and modifying notes for about five years. And I actually started in uh, non-performing seconds, which I know to a lot of folks sounds crazy. Um, I actually do firsts as well, and we buy re-performing product. Uh, so we have about a blend of, of um, maybe 50% or so performing, and then the other half non-performing that we work out for a resolution of some sort. Um, I really love partials. I mean, partials, everyone else can talk about this as well. Um, they are just so cool, so fantastic. There's a lot of things you can do. And, um, you know, I still have a lot to learn in that department. We do quite a bit of them. Um, one gal that I was speaking with today, actually, that was mentoring me a little bit on kind of an oddball deal, uh, Tracy, her last name is Rui, I believe. And she has a website, noteinvestor.com. So there's a lot of just good, non-salesy, educational stuff there. Um, you know, and a lot of information about partials as well. So I'm um, looking forward to talking about partials and kind of what we're doing and hearing what other folks are doing with them as well. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, welcome to all you guys for joining us. And I appreciate you guys jumping in here and giving away free information, um, which uh, we've talked all about how valuable free information is uh but the biggest part of taking it is taking action that's uh, the hardest part so let me let everyone know that again there's a chat button in the bottom if you want to ask questions but i'm gonna i'm gonna start off with a bunch of questions here um and uh, kind of ask you guys some general ideas of uh, about parcels before we get into the more specific ideas um we have a little amount of capital we're working with 15 20 grand Martha, what, why would you say that, you know, with 15 grand is, is difficult to buy a non-performer or even a performing full loan loan with 10, 15, maybe $20,000? What are the struggles with that and the risks with that? Um, we just don't see a lot of assets. Uh, we see some, but not the majority of assets are going to fall within that category. The majority of our assets that we are – uh, acquiring are, even though they're on working class property, they're going to be more, uh, to buy the full loan, they're going to be more from about the $35,000 on up to, you know, of course, the 100K plus. Um, and so the nice thing about for someone that has smaller dollars that they want to invest and to enter into this as asset class is that when we break off the front end of the loan and sell them a partial interest, then it gives them the opportunity to take that amount of money to invest in the note. Um, and the majority of ours are what we find on, on single family for, for what we buy, um, you know, they're going to be in that 40, 50, $60,000 range to do a, to actually acquire a full purchase on a loan. So um, it definitely allows them some flexibility to come into the asset class and um and enter you know enter into the, into the note space um buying a performing loan okay dan what would you say your your ideas of buying a loan for 15 grand what are the risks with doing that uh from your experience 
Dan, what's your experience buying a loan at 15 grand? Oh, you got cut off. Uh, for me, I, I don't mess with those class D type properties. Um, when I buy a note, like I said, I'm, I think I'm a little different than pretty much the whole market in this range is I'll never buy a note on a property I don't want to own. Because my worst case scenario is I have at nine exit strategies. And my worst exit strategy, my one exit strategy that it has, the box has to check every single time is I have to be willing to own that property. And I'm not willing to own a property that are $15,000, $20,000 values because when you get in, we know what happens. It's still going to be $30,000, $40,000 of work. So um, I do not touch those $20,000 values. And I don't want to mention companies' names that are out there selling those. But there are certain companies out there selling. That's pretty much what they sell. Martha gave a great uh, rendition of what I, I think we're very similar and it, that's why the partials have been so good. My values on my properties are usually no less than 5,000 and up. So I'm in the, I play in that 65 to $130,000 range. So when I can sell off a partial to somebody, I can easily work with somebody from $10,000 to $40,000, $50,000, whatever it might be to sell them a partial. But the nice thing is people that have 15, 20,000, 10,000, it's nice for them to get involved in the game, to learn the game, to get really passive income possibly using their self-directed IRAs, solo 401ks, Coverdell's, health savings accounts, kids', at kids uh, accounts, cash, get in the game for a small amount of money and know that they're going to get a decent class B, you know, B minus to B plus type property in a blue collar neighborhood where they're not really, I mean, you can't guarantee anything, but, you know, it really hedge your bet when you buy a better property. And how can you collect payments on it with ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 other than buying a really a class D property in the pure ghetto, excuse my French, or, you know, but the pure ghetto, which um, you don't want that because if somebody doesn't pay that note, you're, you're not getting paid your partial. I mean, they still have to pay for you to get paid. I mean, we, when we used to sell partials, we offer some guarantees where if somebody doesn't pay, we'll buy the note back minus the, the, the cost that they've received. Uh, because we want that deal back. We're only, like I said, I'm only willing to do a note on a property I'm willing to own myself. That's why I'm different. I think everybody in this industry, I see everybody want to own. And the minute they take them back, they don't have $30,000, $40,000 to fix them up. So back to your question on that's why $10,000, $15,000 into a partial is a great deal because you can get yourself, you know, 8, 10, maybe 12% return on a partial. And you know you're in a quality property. And you can make that money, like I said, in your self-directed IRAs, 401ks, IRA, you know, those kind of things tax-free if you do it right. And you learn servicing, you learn, you know, insurance, you learn how to accept the payments, you learn how to deal with the, the, the collateral. It's a great way to get started when you're first starting out. And Josh, I'm going to piggyback on that and ask you this question. Is, yeah. You know, a lot of people want to get in the performing world because it's, it's an easier world than not performing. For sure. Uh, not as scary, you know what? Um, what kind of loan, I mean – is there a lot of loans out there that you could buy 15 grand? And if, you, if they are a 15 grand performing loan, what kind of asset is that? And what kind of maturity is left? Uh, well, I'd have to say very similar to what the other folks have already said, where you're looking at something that either just doesn't have much uh, meat on the bone left. You know, it's almost over as far as the maturity date, getting close to it, or uh, it's just a very lower end type of property or asset that is not really suitable for a beginning investor or someone who is more passive that they just have money in an IRA and they want to put it to work. Um, partials are much better from both sides, uh, in my opinion, both the seller and the buyer. 
Um, most folks that I work with, um, kind of very similar to, you know, what Dan and Martha have mentioned. Um, the partial purchase price is anywhere from, let's call it 15 on the very low end to maybe 35. And that gives them some security. They're in a higher end property. Um, it just, it makes more sense than an outright purchase of $15,000 on a full note. Um, there's just not a lot there and there's not a lot of security, I think, buying the note outright at that price. Martha, I mean, you guys do a lot of seller financing where you're at. Why would someone seller finance versus sell a property outright and allow a borrower to go to a bank and get a loan for it? What makes seller financing attractive on assets maybe worth 50 grand? Are you selling for 50? Why don't they just go to the bank and get a loan? Um, number one is that at that asset class, at the $50,000 and really even above that, I would say more even at the $80,000 and below, a lot of banks aren't financing those properties. Um, they just, they can't originate them. They can't mon make money on the origination because of all the, you know, new, um, you know, documentation that's required and all the regulations that are required by the government. There's just not enough money for a bank to go and finance those type of working class properties, but they can be very nice neighborhoods. Um, you're still looking at a customer who has potentially made a very good down payment. Um, it, it, there's there's a, just a variety of different reasons, um, you know, that, that, that this person, you know, would need the owner financing. But primarily, it's just that the banks are not offering the financing that's needed on this type of property. Um, but right. the buyers are still, you know, the buyers are still out there. Um, they pay well. And um, it's, you know, it's like they said, it's like a, several people said earlier, you don't want to get into uh, too low an asset class. You know, you don't have enough of a monthly payment to collect, number one. Uh, but, you know, the working class properties are, you know, there are people that, that pay. Um, they make good town payments normally when someone does finance. And, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's good, solid paper. Yeah, I'm sure, that, you know, that Dan and Josh will definitely agree that's the biggest problem that most people who are looking at these loans go, why would someone actually own a property and not just sell it out? The biggest problem right. based in finance that they won't bother. It's not worth their time, their effort, their money. Um, <clears throat> that makes it difficult. So, Dan, when you take a, a loan back, what do you, what, you know, you do sometimes a little differently than we're explaining here. Why would you take back a loan versus sell it outright to a, a borrower? Why do you want to get back in the paper business? Dan, what's your, what's your reason for getting back? In honestly, to make it really simple. Yep, sorry. Um, I, I sold off a lot of properties in my life. Um, and I, I worked for my boss. Anyone that knows me knows the type of money we were making doing that. But about seven years ago, like I said, I really want to get back into the passive income game. Uh, my, my, um, my goal was to live, you know, pay pretty much truly passively uh, and mitig mitigate my risk as best I possibly could. So if I'm going to sell off these assets, to $70,000, $80,000 and make myself, you know, ten dollars to $20,000 per asset. And I'm giving the money to the government for taxes and stuff like that. And I'm just rolling the money. I'm constantly grinding every month. So the reason I want to do what I do and be a, be the bank is because I'm in a good position when I'm at the bank. Um, because the way I get into these properties, especially these turnkey rental properties, is they're truly turnkey. I mean, I'm taking these assets over from a note 
a tax lien, a distress seller, whatever, REO, whatever it might be, I'm rehabbing these properties. I'm putting a tenant in them, getting professionally managed, not by myself, but a professional property manager. And then I sell them off to investors. And when I work with an investor, the reason I like working with investors is, is reasons. one is I don't have to deal with Dodd-Frank. I mean, I'm not a fan of Dodd-Frank. He's not my friend. I don't want to deal with him. I don't have to deal with him Dodd-Frank. I'm not doing residential loans. I'm doing commercial loans. So in most states, I'm allowed to do whatever I want in those states, most states. Um, and the states I can't, I'm not, I'm not working in anyway. Um, so I'm going to do a pull in for 70 to 80% of the rehab. And then when I sell to an investor, I take 30% down or $20,000, whatever is greater. So now I'm basically lending out about 50% loan to value on a performing asset with skin in the game. And I'm collecting payments every single month. And I don't care about tenants till it's a trash. Um, and I'm giving them a good quality property. So if, I, if an investor comes to me and they have $100,000 to invest, which most of my investors are north of $100,000, um, but if they come with $100,000 to invest, I now can sell them three to four properties rather than sell them one property for cash at $80,000. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and, the, and the reason, yeah, and when I, when I was doing owner-occupied, um, another reason besides the banks not lending less usually than $75,000 at 78% of value, uh, the biggest issue is, you know, a lot of these investors come in, they might have some issues with credit, they might have some issues now with their income. And since I, I really stopped doing occupied financing, that was before the whole Dodd-Frank issue came in where you had to have them underwritten and stuff like that. And you could only do a certain amount a year. But, um, you know, anyone with credit issues, um, that's great for seller financing. As long as you can get them set up in a situation where they can turn around and refi that loan out or be able to close out on it in the next year or two fix those credit up, but you do got to get them under in. Awesome. So that's kind of what I do a little differently. And, uh, you know, that's yeah. why I work with investors more than owner occupiers. Josh, I want to add to it and ask you the same question is, you know, we're hearing is banks can't do anything um, with loans under value. Some people want to get back into being the, the, the lender. Um, you know, this, this method takes away the risk of being sued as the owner of the property. Um, where you become the lender again versus being a seller financing and being a landlord. Um, would you say this is commonly what you're hearing from all this paper that's out there of why people do seller financing? Because people looking to buy parcels sometimes wonder what the game is. Why these people are seller financing? What, you know, where are they losing? And what they're not realizing, there's a win-win situation for both sides of this whole game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, personally, I don't have a whole lot of experience with seller finance. Um, I know a lot about it. I've assisted a couple folks with seller financing their properties. Um, I haven't taken too many properties back myself. Uh, fingers crossed on that. Um, so I haven't needed to. But what I'm seeing as far as partials is, um, you know, kind of what you touched on. It is a win-win for both sides. So folks selling partials, at least when they're put together properly, um, you know, it's a win-win for the seller and it's also a win for the buyer. So no one, you know, when you look at it objectively, no one's being taken advantage of. Um, it's a very fair transaction for both sides. Um, with regards to the seller finance side of it, I really can't speak much to that because I don't have a whole lot of experience with that. Awesome. Martha, one of the reasons I called you guys to come on here is you guys have been doing this for as long as probably I've been alive. Um, which is awesome to have that kind of experience. Um, and that I'm means a, I'm old, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. Um, 
I'm going to dive into uh, go a little detail for a minute, and I, I'm going to ask you as best you can to be um, as common language as possible, and then we'll get back into more common topics. But what paperwork is needed to do a partial from a, 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 a if someone is taking a property back, doing seller financing, and wants to sell a partial? What paperwork is legally required to have that happen? Well, what we do uh, is keep it really simple. It's not complicated. I know people um, probably have in their mind that it's a complicated process. But basically, if you, cr if you cr have created a, a proper paperwork to start with, you've created a real estate note and a deed of trust or mortgage, depending on your state, then when you buy a partial, it's just simply a, you're going to have a transfer of the lien. Um, then you will endorse the note payable to the partial buyer. And then we have what we call basically an agreement, which we call receivable purchase and sell agreement, which outlines the terms of what the partial buyer will be receiving. Um, and, um, out, you know, then it's got the amortization schedules attached so that they can see the amortization on the loan as well as the amortization on the partial investment. So it's it's very it's, it, we make it very simple and it's it's pretty much just those those three documents. It sounds very similar to what we do when we buy non-performing. It's very similar paperwork. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Dan, we talked about this weekend, and so does Jay. One of the biggest concerns we have in this space is when a borrower defaults. So I'm with 15 grand sitting in my IRA, and I said I can't buy a non-performer. I don't want to buy a low-end performing note. I mentioned this whole partial thing. What happens to someone that stops making a payment? Dan, what do you have in your agreement that you set up that if that happens, how terrible of a situation as the buyer being of the partial in? Okay. If somebody starts to pay, I do a guarantee with them. If they stop making payments, I, I have the right to buy the note back from you. And re obviously, I want to make sure that note keeps performing or it's protected. So I would buy it back for you minus the payments that you receive. So you get pay paid in full. So essentially, I take away all that risk from people. I don't know how everybody else does it. I do it because, like I said, I'm usually lending out about 50, 55% of the value of that property anyway. So for me, it's in a situation where I'm willing to take that out. I don't, I don't want people to default. That's not what I'm looking for. But people say, what's the worst that could happen? Usually, I say they pay me back. Because if they don't pay me back, I just get all that equity back and I'll resell to somebody else. I mean, but uh, like I said, I always tell people, well, I mean, you need to foreclose on yourself. I'll do everything in my power to help you. But as far as partials, I'm willing to do that. I don't know if everybody's willing to do that. I'm always willing to pay them back uh, any monies they didn't receive, um, but they made whole. Okay. Awesome. Um, Jay, do you guys you have the same situation that if someone doesn't make the payment defaults, that they have options? Uh, we talked this weekend also about uh, your three options and what you provide the, the, the buyer to help cure the situation. You want to briefly go over those three options you give that buyer when you sell a parcel to them? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing, you know, for people that are interested in maybe buying a parcel or learning more is the fact that the person selling or the entity selling the parcel to them has a lot invested in that transaction as well. And they also want to see it do well. And we want to see that partial buyer get paid every penny that they're owed because we're owed that 
second half or whatever's left on the note. So interests are aligned in that respect. And so for that, um, at least the folks that I work with, a lot of them are just passive IRA money, business professionals that are smart, well-educated. They just don't want to make a business out of it. So what I tell them, and we have in a purchase and sale agreement, along with the amortization schedule, spelling everything out very clearly, um, in the event of default, first they notify us just to let us know that this has actually happened. Typically, we already know in the servicer portal, but they need to let us know. And then there's one of three options. Uh, the first option is very similar to what Dan said, where we'll buy them out minus any payments they receive. So that basically just amounts to, let's say they purchased the note for 20 grand. They've received $5,000 worth of payments from the borrower, the borrower defaults. Well, we're going to pay them $15,000. So they're going to be made whole. They're not going to make money in that instance, but they're going to be made whole. They're not going to lose their money. Uh, the second option is we can replace the note. Just take that note back for ourselves and fix it, deal with it on the backside. Replace that note with a suitable note of equal or greater value. Um, obviously, the buyer needs to agree to that and be cool with that. Um, or let's say there's just a year or two worth of payments left. We could also take the option of undertaking in writing to make those payments to the buyer on the behalf of the borrower. So let's say they're paying 400 bucks a month, they defaulted, oh great, you're gonna sign that loan back to us and we're gonna undertake in writing to make those $400 a month payments to you to the end of the term and then we're gonna deal with this guy on the backside. So I like it. that provides some peace of mind for them. It's not a guarantee, we're not guaranteeing anything but we're there saying, hey, we're in this together, we're gonna to take care of you, we're not just gonna leave you out there to try to figure this out if something were to go south. Awesome. Martha, you know, we're talking a lot about missed payments and, you know, borrow defaults. Um, do you have in your situation who pays for the foreclosure, be it if something does go foreclosure? How do you guys structure that when you're selling your parcels? Right. Well, that's a great question. Um, we probably have, and I don't know what everybody does, but basically we do all the asset management on behalf of our partial buyers. Uh, what we find is we are dealing with investors that want to be passive. Uh, many of them are close to retirement. Uh, they are investing mostly with um, IRA, self-directed retirement account money. And so they don't really want to oversee the day-to-day -day, uh, aspects of dealing with the assets. And like uh, Josh said, they don't, want it, they, they don't want to run a business. They want it to be truly passive. Mm -hmm. And so we manage all of that for them. If we come into a situation where um, we have a slow pay uh, account, um, possibly it needs to be modified, we would, we would handle that. Um, of course, we're always looking um, to work with the customer in any way we can. We're not, we're not trying to go just jump into a foreclosure right off the bat. We want these people to be able to keep their homes if they can. Uh, in any, and we work with them in regard to that. Uh, we work um, with them to try to get a deed in lieu if we, you know, if they can't pay. Um, and then, of course, the last resort would be a foreclosure where we basically just, as I said, we're already doing the asset management and we're going to stay in that role and take the property through to foreclosure. And we normally absorb that expense. And then, as also as Dan and, and Josh said, we also, um, are in a situation where our partial investor is getting their full payout um, 
irregardless of the steps that we go through and how we do the workout, because we also have options in our agreement in regard to how we can do that. Um, but it's our personal, um, you know, you know, process and it's just our process at the office to manage all of that for them to um, so that they don't have to get involved in that. So they're going to be made whole and they're going to get their, their full payout regardless of, of what the process is on that. Um, awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's, a, you know, think it's, it's not you know, like the worst case scenario, scenario, here scenario here is if, uh, is someone, if uh, stops someone stops paying, paying or, or actually worse than that, someone, someone does pay off the loan. Pay <laughs> is that true? Is the worst case scenario? No, I mean, um, you know, there, <laughs> there are um, benefits, of course, in the payoff also. And uh, so for us, um, you know, when we do have a payoff, it's, it's a situation where we, you know, we, we can help the investor reinvest the money. And, uh, you know, of course, we're reinvesting that, that uh, money, too, if the loan pays off early. All right. Um, All right. Um, now for the good stuff. Now for the good I'm stuff. echoing for a little bit here for some reason. Um, um, what do these things sell for? Josh, what are you selling your parcels for? Parcels for. What kind of yield kind return are these people getting for their money? Getting for their money. Um, uh, am I still on? Okay, because I don't know who. Yeah. You more thinking ahead. What are you guys selling it at the yield wise? Well, ours vary um, because we're dealing with very passive investors. Of course, we are uh, only only buying and selling a partial on a, a performing loan. Uh, most of the time, they have excellent payment histories. They have. It says I'm muted. Am I? Am I muted? No, we can hear you. No, we can hear you. Okay, sorry. Dave's um, muted. Yeah. So we're we're looking at loans that have been paying hopefully for for some time. I mean that that's our when we're looking at selling a partial. That that's what we're wanting is to for this partial buyer to have security and the fact that um, that it's it is a, a really solid performing loan. So it can start anywhere. Um, from a 6% and go on up to 10 or 12, depending on the risk tolerance of the investor. Um, so I think that's important for the investor to understand. It's like Dan was talking earlier about the different levels of properties. Like, are you looking at, at an A quality property or, or a C quality property? And notes are graded very similarly. Um, so uh, the more secure the loan is, I would say the lower the investment rate's going to be. And as there's more risk involved in the loan, then of course it's going to be a higher rate of return to the investor. Awesome. Dan, so what I'm hearing is buy a performing loan for a period of time, which is at a 8% return, and have security of this loan backed by the person who has experience. And you can buy us with ESA covered health, you can buy us with an IRA, you can buy us with extra money you have sitting aside that can't get no deal, you don't have enough money to get no deal, or you're just getting into the space. Is that what we're hearing correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, Moth said, said it perfectly. Um, that's exactly what happened. Exactly. Uh, you're going to get a decent amount, a low amount of money, buying a note. Um, you have basically like I know how it is when you buy it, you buy from yourself or you have a partner on your side that's going to make sure that we all have a vested interest in this. 
So, um, and that's why it's pretty cool because uh, we're not going to sell you a note. We're not going to sell you a partial pro. I know I'm not going to sell a partial note that I really don't want myself. So, and that's, that's how I just run my business. So yeah, you can get yourself, you know, eight, nine, 10 to 12%, depending on the deal and depending on what they sell the partial at and, you know, whoever's working with you, I used to work it out the way I would work it out is I would always try to give somebody a 10%, at least a 10% return on their money. So I'd figure out how much money they have, how many payments I have and how I'm going to sell off those payments. So I wouldn't just go out and say, I'm going to sell off, you know, 50 payments. Somebody who investor would sit down with me and they would turn around and say, Hey, I have $20,000. What can I do with that? I really didn't have a note to sell them. They really couldn't do much with on my properties. So I'd say, listen, I'll sell you off, you know, 40 payments at this pay, this amount. And I would show them how it worked. And then I would show them a little bit about my guarantee and that would usually work out. And they loved it. They could do it. Like I said, they were able to get involved with their IRAs, their Coverdells, health savings account. Um, yes, it's everything, um, cash, whatever it is, but to get in the system. But I like what Martha does. They actually manage the, they still manage it for you guys. So that's, that's pretty cool. You know, if somebody wants to get in. You are unmuted. Josh, I'll just mute myself. Josh, mute the echo. Josh, what do you say Josh, about that as well? I mean, are well? we with a little bit of money here? I'm sorry, I lost sorry, the last lost uh, the tail end of what you said. Are you saying people you can get into this space with a little bit of money and have the protection of you guys behind it? The oldest low with an ESA like Dan says, is that your experience as well, parcels? Yes. So yeah. essentially what so it is, is I mean, are, are, at least what I'm doing is we, doing are, assigning, we are assigning, when you buy a partial, we're assigning the note over to you. So you have full ownership for that period of time. So let's say you purchased the next hundred payments worth. Um, you have an amortization schedule, which shows that um, you own the note for that period of time. Not only do you have, you know, whatever purchase and sale agreement, whether it's a warranty or something of that nature, like we're all alluding to, you also have another thing to consider. Um, you have a low investment to value, meaning let's say this property is worth $75,000. doesn't matter what the partial seller purchased it for. Let's just make an assumption. You know, we purchased the note for 25 grand or whatever, and all 70 or 75 is owed. Well, this partial buyer only came in to buy their part at 15 or 20 grand. So they're in a property, in addition to everything that we said, they're in a, not in a property, but they've purchased a note with a huge upside. So they're very well protected in a sense that as long as the, the deal's structured correctly, they're very well protected. I'm going to actually unmute, uh, Martha, just, I think you're echoing off your phone. I'm going to unmute you now. Uh, Martha, what's your, um, when you, when you get into this stuff, what is servicing costs for partials and how is that structured? I'm sorry, would you repeat that? With servicing. What's the difference in the cost of servicing um, as if I'm the back seller? What is the cost of servicing for somebody this? As a performing note. All right. Well, to explain that to the audience a little bit, um, what we, and I'm sure possibly Dan and, and Josh may do also, is we use third-party servicing companies. 
So when we acquire the loan, we board the loan with a servicing company. And so they're going to have a monthly fee involved in collecting that monthly payment, taxes and insurance, if there's an escrow. So they collect all of that for us. Um, and then um, when you acquire the partial, then they just forward the payment to your account. So that's how the servicing works. And it varies in price every month depending on on the servicer. Um, it can start as low as $18.50 per month and um, it could go around to up to about $35 a month depending on the servicing company that you use. All right. Um, I hope we're trying to fix the echo problem here. We have an actual room here that we actually have a few live, so we're going to turn the microphone down. It's just a core problem. Let me know. Uh, one of the questions came out uh, from Peggy, and uh, if you're not looking at the chat, was asking about IRA um, and bindings with your IRA, and other things like registry cash. Um, a lot of people walk into space, walk into space, grand, ten grand, twenty grand, 20 grand, um, grand. Um, and probably walk up to all of us and say, "Hey, what can you sell us?" Um, a lot often, I kind of fear and uh, kind of worrisome. Uh, kind of so worrisome. I, uh, I avoid that. So um, I encourage people that do walk into space, who want to get in the performing world, look at this as an opportunity. So. Um, I'm going to open up for Q and A for people. Uh, if you still have a problem with the echo, just let me know. We need to move some stuff away from the microphone here. Uh, they're kind of fixing error because it's no problem. But let's open some Q and A to people in the space. Um, and let me know. Let me know. So uh, I'm going to actually go right to the chat. Was uh, how about having multiple self-directed accounts and split one? Buying a partial with two different people could not be happening. Um, am I still on? I don't know. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, you absolutely can use more than one account to acquire a loan. And you could either, um, you know, have undivided interest. You could have percentages depending on how, you know, how much money is in different accounts. Um, and the other thing that you can do is create a personal property trust where you would create a trust, both of those entities would invest in the trust at whatever percentage would be appropriate depending on what, how much they're contributing. The trust then would actually acquire uh, the partial interest in the loan. So that's just another step if you wanted to go that direction, uh, but that is one avenue that um, is available and, and it works really well. We've seen, we've had really good um, experience uh, using the personal property trust uh, as opposed to having money coming in from so many different accounts and trying to merge all those together on one document. Um, but that's just an option, you know, just so people are aware that that's available. All right. And as you all see right. in the and chat, there's another, the question, there's another regarding, question regarding, is there a market for there partials market or performing seconds? seconds? I'm presuming the question, is, the question is, if you want a performing you loan, performing can you loan? sell a partial on it? Partial on it? Uh, Jay, uh, Jay uh, Dan, Dan, what's your experience? Dan, what's your experience? As a performing loan, can you sell a part instead of having to try selling the entire thing?
second. I think I was muted. I, I think apologize. Was yes, you can definitely sell partials on pretty much anything. Um, the stuff I do um, to sell partials on sell or sell the note or sell the note is my performing seconds. That's what I sell because I don't I don't really hold the performing seconds too much. But yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a market for um, and it all depends on the things you gotta look at is how many the biggest thing people a lot of people don't want to get involved in it. There's less than a certain amount of payments. But there's definitely a market. Awesome. And for people that are trying to buy, what would you guys say is, is there a lot to buy? Is there inventory where people would get fifteen thousand dollars? A supply of people would sell for someone that want to sell off. Josh, why would someone want to sell off? What's a good? What's a good? You know, this makes this makes some weird noise. A lot of those heads saying it sounds too good to be true. Why would someone want to sell off a loan at eight ten percent? Josh, I think you're muted for some reason. Are you muted on your side, Josh? Can you guys hear me now? Can you guys hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I think that's a reasonable question for you know a buyer or someone else to ask, and I think that each seller is going to have their own reason. A lot of times what we do we is we sell to recapitalize, so not necessarily looking to make money on the transaction. Sometimes we are. Um, a lot of times it's a simple act of just getting your money back and going into another deal and keeping that tail end. Um, in fact, you don't even need your own money or anyone else to do the deals. You can do things like... Um, what is it a dual closing or something of that nature and do large amounts that way and just keep half of it. So it's a little bit more advanced. It's something that I'm working on with um, some other folks learning, but there's a lot of different things you can do with it. And it's not a simple matter of just making money. A lot of times it's getting your money back and then moving on, but still keeping a substantial portion of that note. You are unmuted. You're muted, Dave. You're muted, Dave. We can't hear you, Dave. Oh, you, Dave. I thought it, was, it sounds to me that this is a deal that's going on that people are getting in deals where they want to cash out. The bank won't let them cash out because the asset's too low of an asset. And they want to get money in their hands to buy another deal. Um, is that a good reason why people are selling these loans at 8-10% and making them available to us? Just because people want to get another deal and they want to cash out of a great performer and get a little bit of it out, but they can't sell the property. There's too little value. Martha, would you say that's a, the, the main kind of reason? Um, it varies. Um, when we buy loans from individuals, there's so many different reasons that they would sell uh, an individual loan. Um, you know, most of the time it's a life event, right? Uh, an illness. Um, they need medical, um, possibly medical money. Uh, they just have some kind of crisis possibly in their life and they may want to sell the loan because of that. And that's like if an individual holds a loan. And then you've got rehabbers, 
you know, someone that buys, rehabs the property, uh, you know, then they, they sell or finance. So it's more of a business for them. So they definitely need a situation where um, once the note is seasoned, that they can sell the note to go invest in the next property to rehab. Um, and then, of course, we have the institutional paper that comes to us because we also buy bulk acquisitions where you've got, um, you know, hedge funds that have acquired these assets in bulk. And then, of course, it trickles down and, and gets sold off. And, and, you know, because of different reasons, we will end up bidding on, you know, portfolio portfolios that have 50, 100, 200 loans in them. Um, and so then we also, so we also have, have that institutional paper that, that we acquire. And uh, of course, those are traded for various reasons also. Um, so it, it just depends on who you're buying from and where the assets are coming from as to why they get sold. So I'm going to again open it up to any more questions. Any more there was a question regarding accounting uh, with the servicer. How difficult it is. Uh, we do have someone right now who said that it is pretty easy. Um, you know, they can seamlessly do this without a problem, without a hitch. Um, it's the matter of making a deal happen. I encourage people with you know, a little bit of money or some stuck in the ESA. You know, I'm looking to buy a few with my ESA Coverdale account. doesn't have a lot in it. I can mortgage in a performing loan and let my college my kids just raise it 8-10% over the next five, maybe 10 years. So I'm going to encourage anyone who has additional questions, curiosity about this. Either post it, raise your hand, or whatever. Um, with that, while we're waiting for additional questions, um, I would like to hear from everyone here. Arthur, how many those parcels um, do you guys typically sell or have available at any one It really varies. My the inventory is just cons a consistent um, turnover. Uh, I I could have. 10 at one time or I could have 30 at one time. Um, so it just depends on the inventory that I see that I have the opportunity to acquire. Um, and then also, like I said, what, one of the things that we really like to do is, you know, we like to get the servicing set up um, and transferred into the, the servicing company. Uh, we want to make sure that borrower has, um, you know, actually started making the payments to the servicer and that they're on a really good payment, you know, uh, cycle where they're they're paying on time and they're making that payment every month and uh so there's there's no glitches there when we do actually transfer that partial over to our partial buyer so um so it just depends on the stages that you know that that the different loans are in as to actually what i have available um but um but we normally have i would say anywhere from about 10 to 20 at any given time that that we have available to show someone if they wanted to inquire with us and um and look at what what we have and talk to us about about what they might could do with us we so we have a few different so questions few in the chat that we're going to just let everyone answer is you know what happens, what, happens after after what happens after the term expires what happens with the the actual note how's it get back to the owner and, um, who owns a note? Who owns a note? So how is the ownership handled? The ownership handled? It, when you sell off a note, who owns the actual note at the time when you, after you sell it? Does the person who sold it own part of it because they own partial payments? Um, or does the person who bought the actual partial own the entire paper until it expires in that term? 
Dan, what's your, Dan, what's your input on that? Because that was one of the questions in the chat. Okay, if you're asking me the question on that, um, they own the partial payment. So the payments are, are, are and then uh, in, in the uh, paperwork, it's actually owned by them for let's say the 40 or 50 payments. And then it's automatically reverted back because it's with the servicing. I have mine with the servicing company when I did it. So the servicing company will say you sell 50 payments after the 50 first payment, it transfers right back to you on your, uh, in your payments. I mean, I hope that, you know, um, I, the question was broken up a little bit just cause I didn't hear you great, but, um, that's from what I got in the question. I think I answered it. If I didn't, if you want to jump in Moth or Josh, feel free. Cause I didn't hear the whole question. I think the question was, you know, who owns the note when the partial's sold? Who actually owns it? Who is controlling it? Is it at all partially owned by the person who sold it in the first place, or is it fully owned by the person who owns the partial? Yeah, Josh, so I think come on, jump in, Josh. Go ahead. I think Dan touched on that. Um, essentially, what happens is, let's say you buy the next sixty payments of a note. So. Uh, starting next month, you're going to receive that $500 a month payment or whatever it is for the next 60 months. That note, full ownership of the note is assigned to you via an assignment um, to your IRA, let's say. At the end of that term, myself or whoever else in the company or the servicer is going to contact you and say, hey, it's time to assign it back. That's part of the agreement, the purchase and sale agreement and then we cover that assignment. So we handle the paperwork to do that, it's very simple. Um, but what makes it very appealing and very sweet to folks is, you know, we're not holding one side of the ownership and you're holding the other. Even though we do have an interest in the tail end, a partial seller is assigning that over to the buyer. And so in most cases, um, you know, I can't speak for the other folks, but in most cases, my experience has been during that term, when you purchase a partial, you have full ownership of that note. One of the questions in the room here was, you know, and I'll jump back to Peggy's question in the chat, was who typically pays, Martha, um, who typically pays for the assignments, assignments all the paperwork that goes on with that, when you sell a partial, who, who, who pays for all the recordings and paperwork? Right. Well, when we acquire the loan, of course, we are paying for it. Uh, when we when we assign the loan or assign the partial, um, then typically there's some closing cost involved in the acquisition for the partial buyer. Uh, you know, it's it's not expensive, uh, but there is um, you know there's some document prep to it, and uh, you know then you've got a recording fee. So there there's a small amount of um, closing costs that's involved that the partial buyer does, does pay. One of the questions was asked in the general room as well as uh, in the chat was, what happens if the person who bought the partial skips down, leaves two years up or five years up and they just leave and uh, they don't return the partial back to the owner with the assignment in the lodge. What do you do then? What do you do then? Uh, uh, Dan, Martha, uh, Dan, Dan, Martha, whoever wants to jump in the question. Jump in the question. <laughs> um, 
We really haven't had an issue with that. I, I, I can understand, you know, that somebody's curious about that, but um, I don't think that we've ever actually had that happen. Um, I think the payment would still revert back because, uh, you know, we, you know, you, they are under an agreement. The servicer is monitoring the agreement in regard to the terms of the loan. And uh, I know that, that there is a situation, we don't necessarily um, do the paperwork up front, but there is also the situation where we could go ahead and have all the documentation prepared, have the partial buyers sign everything, and the servicer would be holding those documents, which would be the allonge and the assignment back to us, which uh, the uh, servicer would just file at the time that the partial reverts back to us. So, um, so that's an option there just for the audience so that they know uh, that's something that they could do to protect the back-end interest if they wanted to go ahead and have that done in advance and have a servicer or third-party party document custodian, custodian hold those documents for the time that, um, that it should revert back. And, um, and Dave, um, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly when, when I did my partials, did that's my exactly how we had it. We had the paperwork signed up front and held up the servicer and service to handle everything in that point. Where after the 40th or 50th payment, it came right back to us. The paperwork was held basically in their account. Um, so we didn't, we, I've never had, I and mean, I probably sold well over a hundred, hundred something partials, and I'm not a big partial guy now, but, um, we never had an issue where we had that happen to us. But yeah, we, anytime we did a partial, we had the paperwork signed in advance. So it's almost like signing a deed in lieu at the closing when you do private lending. You have it signed in advance. So if they don't, if they don't perform, you just file that paperwork and that's it. But I, like Martha, I haven't had, they've done a lot more partials than I have, but I haven't run into that issue yet either. Uh, Josh, I want to thank you. You're answering a lot of good questions in the chat. Uh, you know, and I think that a lot of the questions were, you know, what happened to the pays off? It's a great thing. One of the questions I was really good in, in the chat was, uh, Peggy asked, can partials be used as an alternative to an equity split in a JV agreement? Martha's shaking her head. What, what's your feeling about that? Again, what par can partials be used as an alternative in an equity split in a JV agreement? You are unmuted. Um... I, I would I would be very cautious about that situation. Um, that I just want to caution people about it. If you're going to do something like that, I want I really want you to reach out to an, an attorney and make sure you are not violating any security issues. Um, there there have I mean that that would just be my suggestion. I, I want you, I want I Dan. Want, I, want I know Dan, Dan and I talked about this a lot this, this weekend. What is she meaning is by she security meaning thing? Security? And what do you mean and joint ventures can be dangerous with security? Why can a joint venture agreement, when you do an equity split, when the person sitting back giving you money, be a dangerous thing to be into? Dan, go ahead and jump all over that one. <laughs> I'm going to be careful on this one, but I know we, we've, we've, as briefly as you can, too, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep it pretty brief. Real quick, you got to be careful on a joint venture agreement. I just tell people check with an SEC attorney. Make sure you have an attorney look at your joint venture agreement. I've had three attorneys and two accountants tell me that joint venture agreements are not truly joint ventures. You're not working as a joint venture with that person. 
So your ways out of them is to either do a, you know, file with the SEC on a PPM or doing a true LLC. I know it's a pain in the butt to do an LLC. That's kind of what we're doing now um, because, yes, you have to file for an LLC. That can cost you with the operating agreement maybe, you know, $1,500. Then you got to file tax returns. You can put that all in your agreement. It's part of the agreement. It's part of the money you raise. But you're, you're not truly joint ventures with these people because they are – they're not truly partners on this deal, the way a joint venture agreement is supposed to be ran. But I'm not, like I said, I'm not an attorney and I'm not an accountant. That's my disclosure. Check with your accountant and check with your attorney. But like I said, I was using joint venture agreements that everyone else is running around with using. And I had three attorneys, including two of mine, tell me, uh-uh, you shouldn't be using them. And I had two accountants hit us up and say, well, you're not giving my client a 1099. You're K-1-ing them because they're actually a partner in this business. Um, so just be careful. Um, as far as that question Peggy asked, I have no clue. I would like to share, like Martha said, I would definitely check with an attorney on that one. I probably wouldn't even touch it, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's just not, I don't think it's worth it. I mean, you got to just get involved in deals you think are worth it. I don't see that as being worth it. Um, if you're going to sell a partial to somebody, sell a partial to somebody. Um, if you want to raise money from somebody to buy a partial, whether you're doing an LLC a PPM, or if you can truly use a joint venture agreement. But um, that's that's about it with that one. I, I just, you know, we're going to be very careful on joint venture. In fact, I've turned down probably about four different investors in the last month that really only want to do joint venture agreements with us. They had money. They want to do joint venture agreements with us. I'm just not doing it at this point. Um, I, I, I forced them into an LLC. It costs us a little bit more money, but it covers us 100%. So you want to be careful on doing that and how you're doing. And just make sure an attorney, I would have an SEC attorney look over your paperwork to make sure you're compliant because it's never an issue until it's an issue, guys. That's very important. Uh, my attorney, I mean, he ripped the shreds a part of the joint venture agreement I've been using for years. Thank God I haven't had any issues. And I've done three PPMs and we're working on a fourth now um, for that reason. But like I said, we just, we just this month, file two LLCs with different joint venture partners, so-called joint venture partners. And uh, it was like pulling teeth with them. And in fact, their, their self-directed IRA companies out there are telling them not to do that because it's too much work. And it's, uh, it's a fight, but you know what? Um, you're better off doing it right up front and uh, you know, being in compliance and not having any issues and protecting. My biggest thing is honestly, guys, Protect this industry because I love the industry. It's done great things for me and my family over the last, you know, I'm in this 29 years. I had a great conversation with Eddie at the event. We spoke for, Dave, you were there. We spoke for probably in a couple of days. I spoke with Eddie for the first time for like two hours. And I think I love him to death because I think he's the real deal. And he's, you know, out there saying he wants to protect this industry. And that's what he cares about. I mean, God, he's a relic in this industry. He's, he's, He's somebody I actually look up to in the industry and, you know, he just wants things done right. And that's kind of how I want things done. It kills me when I see people out there doing things the wrong way um, and, and doing joint venture agreements the wrong way when it's truly not a joint venture. Okay. Absolutely. So yeah, I see everybody running around brand new and all, throwing these joint yeah. venture agreements out. But yeah, we, we all get emails on opportunities. Big and issue. I you put people's money at risk and you're not protecting. Yeah, said, this dangerous joint venture agreement we're throwing around is, uh, is scary. So we don't want anyone put in jail because of it or SEC knocking your door. So uh, I do, you know, we've had some great information here, uh, amazing uh, stuff that uh, I hope everyone got a nugget out of. 
Um, and I, I'm going to try to wrap it up with, you know, encourage people who, who have a little bit of money that are just, it's dangerous to get into a non-performer that low or can't buy a performing loan. That is a great opportunity. Reach out to me. You have my email address. Um, I'll connect you with things, uh, people or whatever who have deals flowing. So if you have a little bit of money um, and been told you could buy a non-performer, I just stress that uh, be careful with that. Um, shoot me an email. Ask me who has it. Let me know how much capital you have, and I'll connect you guys. Um, I connect with anyone here on, on the webinar. Um, uh, they will also get your contact information, um, so they'll be reaching out to you as well. Um, so, again, I want to thank all you guys again for joining me tonight. Um, again, uh, give me your quick uh, who you are, email address, and uh, best contact information, and uh, leave it there. And, again, I want to, again, say thank you before closing out. Martha, can you just give briefly your, your contact information so everyone who's on here can, uh, you know, shoot you an email or uh, give you guys a call? You are unmuted. Absolutely. Uh, everyone can reach me. It's Martha Speed. And my email is Martha S at colonialfundinggroup.com. Again, it's Martha S at colonialfundinggroup.com. Uh, Dan, what's your email address? I see Dan writing it down. Um, what's your, Dan, what's the best way for you to reach you as well? Uh, you can definitely email me, Dan, at Zitofsky Capital Management.com. So it's Dan at Z-I-T-O-F as in Frank, S-K-Y, Capital Management.com. And if you shoot me an email, I'm pretty on top of my email. I travel a lot, so I always tell people, give me 24 hours to get back to you, but usually it's sooner. And I'll put it in the chat box as well. And I see Josh did it already. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate you guys. Uh, Josh, if there's any questions, um, you have all Josh's information there. Um, oh, Dan, uh, Dan, just change that uh, from private to uh, everyone in your chat box uh, in your response you sent just to me. <laughs> um, so, again, thank you all for joining us. If there's additional questions, please feel free to read it to me, and I can connect you guys with these guys. Uh, if you have an asset to sell, also reach out to me. I'll connect everyone as best I can. Thank you very much, guys, for joining us. Have a great night, and this will be posted on the YouTube channel. Enjoy your evening, guys. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.